Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson. Welcome to The Crime Cow. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me each week on The Crime Couch for a rollicking, intriguing tale. It'll be one heck of a journey. Former Detective Inspector Ken Ashworth was one of the tough men in the job. He worked in the armed robbery and homicide squads and was in the Piranha Task Force. He also investigated organised crime on the waterfront. Ken's credited with some impressive nabs, including the arrest of one of Australia's greatest bank robbers, Russell Mad Dog Cox, and his mate, notorious gunman Raymond John Denning. Hi, Ken. Thanks for sitting with me again on the Crime Couch today. Hi, Rochelle. Thank you. You were in the armed robbery squad in the 1980s. Tell us, what sort of reputation did the robbers have? With the crooks, so uh, we're, we're fairly uh, hard. Um, had a, a rough reputation because uh, you're dealing with people that put guns in people's faces and shoot and kill other people, so you don't treat them like a normal shoplifter. So um, you have to match where you have to match sometimes. What was the rapport like in those days between the crooks and the robbers? Like, was it a, a, a you know, um, a guns are blazing sort of rapport or did you try and ingratiate yourself with them? You're always most concerned with uh, the safety of yourself and your, your fellow members, but uh, you didn't let the crooks get the upper hand at any stage. You're always prepared um, and you match firepower with firepower. Uh, we were armed with shotguns back in those days. Um, we all had personal issue revolvers and, um, yeah, you just had to plan everything you did. What were the crimes that you had to deal with? Because I'd imagine the armed robbery squad today would be completely different. I think so. There's not as many bank hold-ups uh, because we're electronic fund transfer society these days, but back then in the uh, in the 80s, yeah, cash was king and you had armour guard and brambles and they were collecting money and uh, they used to get jumped between the store and the, and the, uh, the van. Um, banks, the security wasn't as good as what it is today. Uh, and you had uh, certain crews like the Flemington crew and Russell Cox and Sando Mercurian they were running around uh, doing big holdups. And it must have been pretty lucrative in those days too. It's, I mean, it seems like a different era. Yes. Some of the uh, big jobs they could pull two or three hundred thousand. Uh, other jobs they might only get fifteen to thirty. It just depended on their luck and what their inside information was as to when they were holding. Now, his prison psychologist uh, described Russell Mad Dog Cox as quote an incredibly active and violent criminal who had to be quarantined from the community. He was truly mad. Unquote. How would you describe Russell Mad Dog Cox? Uh, well, my dealings with him, apart from the arrest, were uh, were very minimal because he wouldn't talk to me. The last time I saw him, I went out to uh, Goulburn to speak to him there. And uh, as I was being led down the corridor, he came out. He goes, uh, I don't want to talk to that man. And he turned around and walked away. Uh, well, of course, he didn't have to talk to me. So uh, that was the last time I saw or had any any dealings with him. Was that unusual for you? Because you're usually pretty good with the, the rapport with the crooks. Yeah, I've always got on pretty well with crooks, um, treated them decently. Um, 
But uh, he's old school. See, he's the old painters and dockers. In he was with the Canes and uh, Vinnie Mickelson and all, and all that. So he was of a bygone era, and he was brought up rough. Um, never trust the coppers. Never talk to the coppers. Yeah, you got to admire him. He's uh, he was very good at what he did. Hmm. That's the the interesting thing is that he's got this incredible reputation and a lot of detectives that dealt with him seem to have like a, a grudging respect for him. Cox managed to escape from Long Bay in 1971. Supposedly this was an inescapable jail. Now he was on the run for 11 years, which is hard to believe. He committed a series of armed robberies and he was linked with three murders. How did you come across him, Ken? Well, I'll start that story around about the 15th of July in 1988. I was in the office and took a phone call from the uh, Sydney Hold-Up Squad and they told me the crook by the name of Ray Denning and Ray Carrion had escaped from prison up there and for us to keep a lookout for them because they might head down and start doing bank hold-ups down in uh, Victoria. So I went to what we then had as the Information Bureau and pulled their uh, criminal histories and wrote it up in the, the squad's message book and with the prize and all that sort of stuff. Anyway... Um, Everybody knew to keep a lookout and wait for a bank to be to be robbed that might be attributed to, to this lot. So at that particular time, uh, there was uh, a security guard had been shot and killed at Barclay Square in Brunswick by the name of Dominic Hefty. He was an armour guard employee and he was jumped in the uh, coal store and in an exchange of gunfire, he subsequently died that day and he shot the gunman who grabbed the cash tin and, and ran through the, the store dripping blood and then carjacked a lady out in the car park to escape. The other two offenders he was with, which we now know was Cox and a fellow called Moran, um, he then they run and they don't meet up. So he car- Santa McCurry carjacks this lady's car and drops it round the corner, takes off his disguise, full of blood and things like that, and ends up going out to, um, to Doncaster where Russell Cox was living at 52 Bowen, uh, Bowen Avenue. Okay, fast forward 10 days after that incident, there's a Brambles truck going into Doncaster Shopping Centre in Doncaster. They look out the back and they see a New South Wales registered car with two shifty-looking people in it. They radio in because every security guard's pretty nervous about, because of what had happened at Barclay Square in Brunswick. So they radio it in, they contact our office. I just happened to be out there with a surveillance crew doing another operation and we got the message that this is what's going on. So. I take my crew, um, I was a detective there, I had was with my sergeant who was Paul Mullet and other crews were racing towards the area as well. So we get to the car park and we find the car and there's, there's nobody in the car, this New South Wales registered car. So one of the guys from the squad there, Dave Brody, gets into the car and he finds paperwork in the name of Ray Denning. So we go, bingo, we know we've got the escapees from, from New South Wales. So with, uh, I think Doncaster CI came out as well and we'd set up an inner and an outer cordon between uh, the local detectives and the detectives from the Armory Squad. And the plan was when they come back to the car, we'll take them in the car because then we can contain them. It's like nice and safe. Um, then they get into the car and as they get in the car, another car comes in, this, um, it's a Ford Falcon, pulls up right next to them and then they have a conversation. We have no idea who this is. Um, and obviously we're running the plates at the time. That didn't tell us anything anyway. The plan was when they take off, they'll probably go in uh, convoy. Mm. If they turn left, they'll come towards us. So we'll mirror coming up that way with them. If they turn left, we'll turn right and we'll take them out that way. Mm. And the other squads, cars, 
squad cars will come in from the rear. And, and if they turn right, well, we'll be one of the cars that come in from the rear and another car will do the nose in from that way. As it turned out, um, they did leave in um, convoy, the two cars, with the escapees in the first car. Who was in the second, did you know? No, no idea. No idea it was Russell Cox. So they do turn left, so we turn right and we go nose to nose. No high speed. It was pretty slow, actually. I'm in the front passenger with a um, hand grip uh, Remington 870 shotgun. I jump out, jump onto the bonnet of the car and cover them, and I think the two noses just sort of nudged each other. There was no damage to the body. That's how slow it was. Had them covered with the shotgun. Other members from the squad come in from behind. At that time, the Falcon that had driven in realises what's going on, turns left at an amazing speed, obviously trying to get away. But he's cordoned in from other units down where they'd come back from, the next aisle across, and there's, I can hear the gunfire. It's like cracker night going off down there. So I can see as I'm standing up where the car's going. So I jump off and I run across the next aisle together with another detective who had a shotgun there on the crooks as well, Graham Main. And then we see the car come straight up towards us. So, And you could see a glint of something he was holding, which turned out to be a thirty-eight revolver. So we open fire and blow the windscreen out, and then the car clips another car, goes past us and smashes into a, a brick wall. I think there's another shot, shotgun from the shotgun someone else had through the boot, and I'm at the passenger's side, and I could see what he had had a gun and he was sitting there. So I fired another shot, which blew out the lock and did the console in the car, and he's just sort of slumped forward. And then other police from the squad had come in, dragged him out of the car and got him down and, and cuffed him from there. So we knew he was involved with the escapees, but we didn't know who he was. Mm. Anyway, obviously we had to remain at the scene and process things in bits and pieces. And he was taken back to St Kilda Road where we had our officers at that stage. And he, uh, he said to some of the detectives, then he said, you'll be surprised who you've got. Mm. And um, his fingerprints were taken and bingo. Somebody... Jerried back at the office that that might be Cox, so that was communicated to us out at the scene. I remember that, and we thought, wow. what did he look like? Um, a bit of a mess after being shot at and hitting the wall, hitting the wall that, that he did because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, so he was pretty well smashed up. And when the boys got him out of the car, um, it's quite physical. You throw them to the ground, you know, and then handcuff them. Um, so he had a bit of facial damage and he was a little bit sore and sorry. He actually had the shoulder holster still on as well. Mm. Yeah, so he had a little bit of damage. But we had him looked at at the office and he was fit for interview because he's wanted for the murder of Ian Revel Carroll back in 1983, another painter and docker down at um, Mount Eliza. Now that, uh, that murder came about through the proceeds of the great bookie robbery. Although Cox wasn't one of the gunmen on the day, he did have input into it and thought he was entitled to some. Mm. And uh, that's what that dispute was over. It was described as a shootout. Is that how you would describe, you know, um, Cox being, you know, apprehended and arrested? Um, I can't remember if he squeezed anything off out of the 38, but um, oh, there were shots going everywhere. Yeah, there was. <laughs> I think some people might have driven home with a, a hot radiator. Not, <laughs> not that I ever heard, but uh, and, and we never heard of any other damage to any other car apart from the one that Cox hit. Um, but yeah, the shots that fired down the bottom of the car park, as I said, it was like cracker night. So we knew what was going on. So we'd only assumed that he'd fired some shots off, but I, I really can't remember. 
How significant was Cox's and um, Denning's arrest? Oh, fairly significant because Denning and Carrion, they robbed a bank on the way down here as well. Um, so they were charged with that. The dangerous escapees. Denning certainly had a reputation. Um, and Russell Cox, uh, some of the big hold-ups here that were never sold were attributed to him. And one that I remember distinctly I went to, actually before I went to the squad, was um, Commonwealth Bank out at um, Springvale mm-hmm. where they sprayed the side of the armour guard truck with automatic fire. Um, Cox was a gun nut. You know, it, after the killing of uh, Carol down at Mount Martha, there was a cache of weapons, automatic weapons found in the roof, uh, revolvers, pistols, you name it. Mm. And he also used to have a, a first aid kit with him so he, oh. could, so he could patch himself up. Um, yeah. He got shot. Trying, let me get this story right. He got shot, I think, in Queensland somewhere or somewhere interstate and they had to go and get a doctor and he, the story was that they – this happened in Papua New Guinea. They did a med- their own medivac out in a light aircraft so it wouldn't be reported as happening here in Australia. Ah. So he's a cunning old fellow. He, um, he, he certainly thought about things. Yeah. And how on earth do you now realise or, or does it make you conclude, how did he manage to uh, avoid capture for 11 years? Well, he kept his head down, that's for sure. He, the car he drove was about two years old, I think, but always well looked after. Had a rented place uh, he was living at in Bowen uh, Road in Doncaster, Bowen Avenue in, in Doncaster, very basic house. So he never brought attention to himself as such. Um, would uh, jog early in the morning, kept himself super fit, uh, vegetarian, would always change his appearance, um, always on, on alert. Mm. Yeah. And when you arrested them, what did Cox say? Uh, you know, did Denning actually fess up or, 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 you know, did they did they fess up to their crimes? Uh, no, no. Cox, no answers to any interviews. He was interviewed over the murder of Carol. He was interviewed over some other matters as well. Didn't say anything. Um, Denning didn't say anything. Um, just the old-time crooks. Mm. Uh, yeah, so. Did uh, Denning, though, eventually decided that he was going to roll, didn't he? And And what prompted that? Well, he knew he was in for – they were held on remand and they are at um, the old Jaika uh, Jaika and so they could mingle together. And in the interim, a crook by the name Graham Jensen had been shot and killed by the armed robbery squad because at that stage Jensen was a suspect for the murder of Dominic Hefty. Now, whilst these two are on remand, that's Cox and Denning, Cox confides to him that he's in the clear for that hold-up and killing because the coppers think it's Graham Jensen and they've killed him. So he's, he's home and hosed. So he's, Cox then starts telling Denning how it happened and who was there and bits and pieces. And he tells him a whole lot of things, which I'll come to later, what, uh, and becomes very important to us years later. Denning starts taking little notes and he hides them in his cell. And when he's got enough, he wants to do a bit of a bargain with the coppers. And uh, so he approaches some people at the squad. I'd left at this stage. I'd been promoted somewhere else. And he starts making statements implicating Cox, McCurry, Moran as being responsible for this killing of Dominic Hefty, the armor guard chap. So he makes a series of statements and in it he puts information that could be corroborated, that was factual. Mm. Um, he gets uh, a good deal. He goes back to Sydney. He eventually is released and shortly after we capture... McCurry down here in, I think it was about 91 or 92, 
he was living out the Glen, Glen um, Creswick Way, um, Dalesford. He gets hot shotted up in Sydney. Now I say he's hot shotted because he never used heroin, mm. and he's found dead with a pick hanging out his arm. So he. Everybody knew he had rolled on cock, so it was, mm. it was just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. and he basically was found like that days before he was about to give evidence against Cox. Is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah. We had him as a, as a witness against Mercury and Cox when we were reinvestigating the whole matter. So, but the good part is the people who took the statement from him had included all this corroboratory material, which we were later able to go back mm-hmm. and link them all together in. And mm. which was good, uh, even though he didn't give evidence because he was dead, we mm. could use what he had supplied, mm. which gave us other avenues of inquiry, and we used that. Um, and subsequently convicted uh, Mercury of the of the killing and the holdup. But Cox seems to come out of this fairly easily, doesn't he? I mean, like he managed to he managed to escape further convictions. Mm. He was very lucky, lucky crook. Um, he beat the escape from Katingal up in New South Wales because it hadn't been gazetted a jail. Um, he'd, he'd put his head down, done his time here. He was wanted for other things up there, other hold-ups. He pulled his head right in and actually became a model prisoner in the end. And um, he got parole and mm. moved to Queensland. Uh, uh, that's where he was originally from. And last I heard, he was a uh, building supervisor on Bribey Island and he's still with um, the love of his life, Helen Dean. Um, she was a registered nurse and she was, in fact, the day we got them at Doncaster, she was repairing Mercury's finger through the gunshot from the hefty killing. But once they realised what was going on, because it hit the news pretty quick and the helicopters were up, um, they grabbed what they could and got out of the house. How do you reflect on someone like Cox and Denning, Denning now? Do you sort of ever think about them? Um, yeah, look, it played on my mind. <laughs> A little, oh, not a little, but quite a lot, together with a number of other critical incidents I've been involved in. So, yeah, it attributed a bit to the PTSD. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, as I said, I joked before about cars driving home with radiators overheating, but on reflection, you, you think, you know, the amount of lead that was flying around out of shotguns and revolvers, mm. how nobody else was hit. Well, um, that's what struck me. You, it's like it's in a shopping town car park mm. and, like, no one managed to get, no one was a casualty. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I remember the first shot I let off as he's coming up, roaring towards us, um, what's behind? And I remember there was nothing behind, nothing that I could see anyway. Mm. So, But we trained fairly regularly with shotguns and things like that. It's not, mm. not like a Wild West show. Mm. Well, Ken, once again, another extraordinary chapter involving your life in the uh, armed robbery squad. <laughs> Thank you very much for once again being on the crime couch with me today. No worries. My pleasure, Rochelle. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Catch.